First Thessalonians, or make that Second Thessalonians. This is Paul's second letter to the church of Thessalonica. He had been there to start a church, left when he was under attack, and wrote an encouraging letter to them. Uh, first one, that's First Thessalonians, and then Second Thessalonians was written because there were some problems, but we'll get to that. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. Shape these words of mine. They may not, they may not be my words, but they may be your words. I ask through and in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus who is our teacher and our great high priest. Amen. Amen. Well, we're switching back into the lectionary passage. You may know the lectionary is a set, is a um, group of readings that thousands and tens of thousands probably of churches cover every Sunday. So around the world, the lectionary is a set of passages that were chosen. So you can know we're grappling with this text, letting this text grapple with us, as many, many thousands of others are the same, doing the same. I like doing series, but I I also like to switch up and go back in the lectionary because I like just grappling with whatever the lectionary throws at me. So it's not just always my plans, but what, just the scripture, letting the scripture work with me too. So I like to do both. So as we head into, can you believe Advent is not that far away? And as we head into that time of year, we're going we're gonna to do lectionary passages for a while. And there is a clear theme here. I got to Thessalonica back in 2001. I was actually there in Greece. We were, I was with InterVarsity and Christian Fellowship as a college ministry that I worked with for six years, Love InterVarsity, and they had a mission to Albania. And so we began our trip in Thessalonica and then for a week, and then we were in, or in Greece for a week, including Thessalonica, and then Albania for a month, and then Thessalonica for the debrief too, or Greece for the debrief too. Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki or Saloniki, as you'd see on the signs, was part of that. This was in 2001, in the summer. And I remember Thessalonica for one big thing. Literally, there was a big old Roman pillar in the town. It was actually an arch called the Arch of Galerius, built in, I bet you David Race is going to love this, um, Mr. Archaeologist. It was built in celebration for Roman army, for the Roman army's victory over the Persians in the late 200s AD. So this was built well after Paul wrote this letter. This letter was written in the early 50s AD. But still, it's pretty amazing to look across the, I think I was in some store and I look across the street and there's this big old Roman arch there. 
a sign of a foreign power conquered by Rome, a sign of earthly victory and power. Well, Paul and his co-workers had left their own signs in Thessalonica, but it pointed to a power far beyond any earthly one. They planted a church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, as commentators point out, was capital and largest city of the Roman Empire, Roman province of Macedonia. It's a very, there was a very important road called the Ignatian Way that went right through it. So having this highway and active seaport made Thessalonica a wealthy, flourishing trade center in the Roman Empire. You can read all about that in your Bible study notes that you have in your study Bibles. It was a free city. It was allowed self-rule by the Romans, but, but this led to pagan religious and cultural influences that impacted the Christians there. When Paul was there, that arch wasn't built yet. But make no mistake, Paul and his colleagues were up against some powers. When they started a church there, they caught flack. Paul was basically run out of town because some locals, in this particular case, it was some, some Jews. Some Jews believed, some pagans believed, some Greeks pagans believed, and then some Jewish folks, part of the religious establishment, ganged up on Paul. So he had to have a strategic withdrawal. Then he wrote this encouraging letter from afar. And then the Thessalonians responded well to that letter, but then Paul got further reports that there were still problems. Notice from the beginning, this place had problems. But it didn't stop the gospel. The problems in this situation now with the second letter were that there was this false teaching that was causing people to quit their jobs and sit around and wait for the Lord to come back. So Paul writes this letter to address that problem. There was among many issues with this. So before the Roman pillar was ever built there, before the Roman arch was ever built there, Paul is seeking to strengthen his own pillar of Christianity by writing this second letter to a church that's got problems, that's facing attacks, that's tempted to get off track with these false teachers. They were being hit from the get-go. Bam, bam, bam. He noticed, though, how he starts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. What are you in right now? We were obviously all in our clothes. <laughs> we live in our clothes. But what are you in? Meaning, what are you stewing in? What is your mind marinating in? We were leaving yesterday at a family trip, and there were a day trip to have Grace and, the, and Jack and be with Jill's brother and his wife, their uncle and aunt, while Jill and I took a date, and we had that last minute scramble to get coats and tie shoes and do all this stuff and take care of things and 
And I admit it was really hard as I was traveling to not be in that last minute stew. I wonder what you were, you were in this morning as you came here. In anxiety about a life situation. In pain and struggle about something on your mind. Um, in fear. In delight. In happiness. Maybe you're in the wind, enjoying the wind. What are you, what are you in? What are you living in? Paul describes the early church as in God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus prays for the church in John 17, verse 21, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. It's the same preposition. N in Greek. It's the same one in the manuscript. In what Paul writes here, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus, and what Jesus prays. Paul is describing the church that's living in what is the prayer of Jesus. That Jesus prays in John 17 that we would live in the union of the Father and the Son, in that embrace through the Holy Spirit, in that embrace. Our being is in deep union with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And why? So that, as Jesus prays, that we would be a witness to the cosmos. That's what Jesus prays in John 17. That's where it goes. May they be in us so that in the union with Jesus and the Father, ha cosmos pistoyun. So that the cosmos may have faith. So that the world may believe that our being in Jesus and the Father's embrace in the spirit is essential to our witness to the world. What are you in right now? What are you living? I struggle with that. I have an active internal life. My mind goes a lot of different directions. It's harder than you think, isn't it, to live in that embrace because we get in these other things. And we're human, right? And that's understandable. The secret is to take those other things with us and to say, Lord, wrap me up in my anxiety, in my fear, in my tiredness. Just hold me there rather than letting that tiredness and fear and anxiety define you and me and where we sit. Let that embrace define us. You see what Paul is doing here? He's not starting with the problem. He's starting with God. That is harder than it sounds. He starts with God and then he starts with what God gives too. He says, in that embrace, grace and peace to you. Dare to live in grace and peace. No matter what would gather you up and carry you away and sweep you away. Whatever fears, anxieties, even joys and delights and good things. Great, but don't let that overwhelm what holds you more than anything because there's nothing else that can hold you and me like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is where Paul starts. He doesn't start with the problem. He starts with God and the reality of God. That's verse one and two. Then he gets to verse three. He says, we always, we ought to always 
thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Now, in just a few more verses, Paul is going to talk to these Thessalonians about their suffering, about trusting in God, ultimately, for God's ultimate justice, about warning them of those who would deceive them. He's going to get to that. Given that all that serious stuff is on the table, it's all the more striking to see where Paul begins. You know, sometimes we can get so focused on the issues at hand and the immediate problems that we can miss the big picture. We can miss the whole point. Paul's going to deal with the problems. We do that. But he begins with the point, and the point is this. Being a church in the Father and Son, growing in love by the Spirit, and growing in faith by the Spirit. All this is all the more impressive given verse 4. He says, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. They are going through it. As I said, Paul got attacked right after he got this church started, he and his colleagues, Both Jews and Greeks joined this church, but other zealous Jewish religious leaders revved up a mob and started a riot. Even got a dear Christ follower named Jason involved, hauled him out, manhandled him. So Paul and Silas flee under cover of darkness to Berea. It's dramatic stuff. Paul doesn't then call the Thessalonians to rise up and demand an end to their persecution. He says God is just and God will take care of that. Paul doesn't outline a plan for them to defeat the trials. Paul says God's got that covered eventually. Paul affirms their faith and love in the persecutions and trials. Assuring them of what is to come and urging them to hang in there. They are to hang in there by growing in their faith and increasing in their love as they're, as they're doing. He's going to give them a heads up about the heresy and warn about all that, all that and interpret all that in light of the gospel. That's, that's what the rest of the letter is. But he starts not with the apocalypticness of the time, not with what's terrible, but with God and what's good. He's affirming their faithful presence in the midst of the mess. We too are in what seem to be apocalyptic times, viruses, viciousness, lies, deceit that in some cases infiltrates churches and Christians. Paul tackles these lies and we'll need to do the same at times, we will. But Paul doesn't begin there. Paul begins by encouraging them in how they live the truth. Like the church in Thessalonica, today's church has opposition But like Paul in this letter, it's essential that we begin not with the opposition itself, not with what we're against, but what we're for. What are we for? Even Paul, who is directly confronting false teaching in the church he founded in an area where he was persecuted, in a place where persecution continues... He begins by saying, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. 
When we get overwhelmed by all that afflicts our world and all that opposes what is good and true, when we're not even sure where to begin or what to do next, when, we're, when we get tempted to get drawn into the latest culture war or shouting match or debate or diatribe about this or that issue, the Spirit will speak to us in just this one verse so that we won't get distracted by divisiveness or stuck in the muck. Here is our preamble. We ought to always thank God for you, Michael Teo Presbyterian, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. This is our preamble too. So before we get any discussion about whatever challenges we face, and there's a place for that, for sure, and even for debate and dialogue for that, for sure, there's definitely a place for that. This isn't put your head in the sand and ignore the world. This is remember where you stand and where you're rooted and your foundation so that you can engage the world freely. This is our preamble. How is your faith growing more and more how is the love that you have for one another increasing this is what we have to give the world in jesus christ this is what sustains us in our in being persecuted or getting pushed back is my faith growing where and how is my love growing where and how There are a million ways to express growing faith and growing love. Author Rick Richardson, in his book, Reimagining Evangelism, which we were going over in our evangelism study group, which we had a good discussion on this week and which is going to continue into January. If you're interested, it's never too late to jump in and and you can... Just jump in and listen. You don't even have to read the book. You can just come and tune in if you're interested. You know, let myself or Leanne or anybody else know. Rick has a great way of combining both faith and love in how he writes. He writes this. An experience a couple years ago really affected my understanding of witness. We were headed off on a family vacation and a neighboring family had agreed to take care of our pets, a dog, two cats, and a gerbil (laughs) while we were gone. The day before we were to leave, though, we found out that our cat was diabetic and would be needing shots twice a day. We went to the neighbors and said, hey, we'll put the cat with the vet because we don't want you to have to shoot up our cat twice a day. They responded, no problem. We're glad to do it. So off we went for two weeks. We came back and indeed they had shot up our diabetic cat for two weeks. That was above and beyond. So we took them out to a nice Spanish tapas restaurant to thank them. At the restaurant, I had one of the most significant and profound spiritual conversations I have ever had. The man was a police commander and saw his spiritual vocation as providing pastoral and crisis care for police officers who had been involved in violence against others. He hadn't gone to church in years, but he was living out his calling. He and I opened up on a deep level, challenged each other, and had a profound spiritual engagement. We continued to check in with each other, and I challenge each and challenge each other to this day. I thought about it later. Why, what had so opened him up? Why were there no trust issues to overcome? Even though he had some negative experiences with the church and Christians, 
Why had he trusted me so much and so quickly? Then I realized what had built the trust. He had helped me when I needed it. He had been in the power position because the helper always is. I was beholden to him. Nothing builds trust like being in a vulnerable receiving position with others. I had been taught to practice care evangelism when I earned the right to be heard by caring for others. And that's good, you know, care evangelism, got to do that too. But this experience, he says, taught me to pursue mutual care evangelism where I am seeking both to give and to receive as part of the relational and trust building process. Rick says, as we reach out, and I would say, as we seek to grow in our faith and grow in our love for another, look for opportunities both to serve and ask for help. Your needs and your humanity are your greatest assets. This week, we, I, we were, uh, placed a couch in my office because it was literally falling apart and peeling. And I had an Ikea guy come and build it because I was afraid to. Um, and I'm terrible. You know, it would probably, it'd probably fall apart. And uh, so he came. But I love these Ikea task rabbit people because you get to know people. You know what I mean? It's a great way to meet people. So this guy came and named Ben, and he was a Air Force vet, worked on B-52s. Then he decided to go be an Air Force ICU nurse. Wow. Then he retired. Now he's learning to fly planes. That's a, that's a lot of skills. That's some mad skills, as you say. And... He was intrigued by my history book collection in my office. He liked my Marvel figures. He dug my guitars. He was interested in my Chris, Christopher Hitchens book collection. He's Christopher Hitchens, rest his soul. He's my favorite atheist. Very interesting guy. We can talk about him some other time. But I love that because this is the kind of guy I build my office for. You know, I want people to be intrigued. You know, like it's a ministry. It's a cathedral of Christ and culture. Come by, sit in the new couch. Anyway. But it's not, it's not peeling anymore. Don't worry. But we got in a good conversation. And at the end, I was, we were, he was helping me, he was helping me um, unload some, uh, you know, get rid of the boxes. And I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I said, is there anything I can pray for, for you? See, like Rick said, he had helped me. Now we pay him, but he still, you know, still had helped me. He was in the power position, if you will, right? So I said, anything I can pray for? I said, I said, you know, we're walking around the back here. I said, wherever it was. I said, uh, I am a pastor. So, you know, I'm going to ask you, anything I can pray for for you? And he said, well, my cat, my cat, Waffle, my cat named Waffle is 14 years old. And he's got some health problems. So I said, all right, I will pray for Waffle. I said, you know, we'll pray for him. I didn't pray for him on the spot, but I'll pray for him later. And then he said, uh, we talked a little bit afterwards. And he said, uh, hey, I'll give you my number. Yes. If I hadn't read Rick's book, I don't know. I, I might have done that, but I might not have. You know, it's just good to remember because sometimes we're so afraid of reaching out. But that's what it's about. That's an act of faith and love to reach out to somebody, even as a pastor. People expect it from me, right? But you still sometimes don't want to offend people or don't want to step on anybody's toes. Can you relate? Right? But it never hurts to ask to pray for somebody. Say, how can I pray for you, Right? Thank you, Rick, for reminding me of this. I know many of you have other stories just like that. 
in a crazy world that seems to be on fire. How about it? Oh my goodness. We can tend to those things. I'm not saying don't watch news. I'm not saying don't have debates and dialogues. There is a place for that lovingly and graciously. But the place to stand as we do that is in the palm of God's loving hand in growing faith and increasing love. Because what can happen is when you get so caught up in all this stuff out there, you can start to lose the focus of your faith. It can even be kind of addicting to look on in, in, on news shows, right? And get your shot of dopamine with whatever, whatever perspective you need to have build you up, right? Get your shot of Jesus more and live in your faith. Don't ignore those things, but make sure as you, as you live, you're grounded and you're standing in the right place. So we don't let those things carry us off. It would have been so easy. Paul deals with the issues in Thessalonica, but Paul starts with God and affirms them growing in their faith and growing in their love for one another. May it be so for you and me every day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Lord, we want to grow in our faith. God, we pray for Waffle and for Ben. In the name of Jesus, we pray you will draw him in. And we pray that you will draw others in through our lives in a cacophonous, crazy world aflame with fury and hatred and lies and deception and confusion. Help us to you know, deal where we need to deal and not ignore those issues and news stories and such. But more than anything, to grow in faith and grow in love. Step away from the Twitter feeds and the news and step toward you in faith. Um, engage, and so that we can engage those things when we need to from a place of faith and love in Jesus name. Thank you, God, for helping us stand in whatever opposition and for our life being held in the embrace of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen.